Can we have the first reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through to 35? And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God onto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail! Thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Amen. Very, very profound words, aren't they? Just looking now at Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And the angel came in unto her, and said, Hail thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. In that verse we learn three things about Mary. One, Mary was highly favoured. says that there, doesn't it, in that verse, thou art highly favoured. In other words, Mary had received much grace from God, much undeserved favour from God in that he chose her. God didn't need to choose Mary, but he chose Mary from amongst all the women to be the, the, the one who would carry Jesus in her womb. As such, God is seen to be the fountain who freely dispenses grace. And in this particular verse, God as the fountain freely dispensed his grace, his favour upon Mary much favour, much grace. Um, And Mary was a vessel who received that grace. God is the fountain, and in this case, Mary, she's the vessel who received the grace. Also, the Lord was with Mary. The fact of the matter is that the Lord was with Mary in a very special way. For obvious reasons, she was to carry the baby Jesus in her womb in fulfilment of prophecy I read the prophecy earlier from Isaiah chapter 7 and prophecy would be fulfilled there would be nothing at all to frustrate God's plans no abortions nothing like that Mary would bear baby Jesus in her womb and then at the the time appointed she would give birth. She would bring forth 
the baby Jesus. So God, the Lord, was with Mary. But it's not just with Mary, is it? The Lord is with his people. Um, For example, David. David recognised the nearness of God when he said, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That's a lovely, lovely thing to think about. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he talks in John chapter 10 of his sheep being safe in his hand and safe in the hand of his father, safe, doubly safe, safe forevermore. Most certainly the Lord was with Mary, but he is with you if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the case of Mary, I'm sure you can see that God was very much Mary's fortress. The third thing that we see in verse 28 is that Mary was blessed among women. She was not blessed above all women, but she was clearly blessed among women. But we must not venerate her, we must not worship Mary. More broadly, every Christian has been blessed, just as Mary was blessed. If you are a Christian, you have been blessed. How much so? On a scale from 1 to 10, are you blessed? If you're a Christian, well, there is actually an easy answer to that. Whether it's Mary in these verses here, or whether it's you, if it's a scale of 1 to 10 of God's blessing, it's 10. It's 10. You, if you are a Christian, you are blessed with all or every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You can't get more than that, can you? You are completely and thoroughly blessed in Christ Jesus. How wonderful that is. And those blessings include pardon for sin, no condemnation, everlasting life, a heavenly inheritance, and ultimately being with the Lord Jesus where he is and beholding his glory. The angel Gabriel gave Mary much to think about, didn't he? Such as the fact that she would conceive and bear a child, even though she was still a virgin, and that the child shall be called the son of the highest, That clearly means the Son of God. Not forgetting that of his kingdom there shall be no end. What God told Mary through his angel, he's telling us as well. This is for our information. That's why it's recorded in the the Bible here. Each one of you will do well to think very seriously about these things that were said to Mary that the baby who was born of a virgin about 2,000 years ago is the incarnate Son of God and that his is an everlasting kingdom. We do have a lot to think about there, don't we? Much to think about. 
It goes way beyond thinking what presents you're going to get in a few days' time. So much more important. Let's have our next carol. Yes, Catherine. Number 19. We'll have our second reading. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through to 17. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. In those verses, in verses 1 and 3, we can see that everyone had to go to their birthplace to register for for tax purposes. Consequently, Joseph had to go from where he lived in Nazareth, Galilee, to his ancestral home in Bethlehem of Judea, a distance of about 69, 70 miles. It's not so far now, is it, if you get in a car, but uh, it's a long, long way back then. Quite a journey to make to register for tax in Bethlehem. In so doing, a 700-year-old prophecy was being fulfilled, as it is written in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Can you see that prophecy was being fulfilled by Joseph and Mary making that journey 
to Bethlehem. In verse 7, let's have a look at verse 7 now. It is written, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Roman Catholic tradition wrongly teaches, I say wrongly, and I I trust you'll be able to see for yourself that it is wrong, they wrongly teach that Mary had no other children and that she remained a virgin until the day she died and she was taken up to heaven. However, as can be seen in verse 7 here, look at verse 7 again, you could probably easily miss it. She brought forth her firstborn son. Her firstborn son. It's quite easy, isn't it, to see what's going on there. She brought forth her firstborn, which means that she had more children after Jesus was born. And that can be seen, that can be seen to be the case in various other verses of scripture, such as Mark chapter 6 and verse 3 where people said of Jesus, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? In that verse, it can be seen that Jesus had brothers and he had at least two sisters. It goes to show that our earth, that, that, that our authority must always come from the word of God, from the Bible, and not from the tradition of men. If you follow the tradition of men, it will take you up the creek. And you'll get, you'll get lost. We need to stick to the scriptures. Maybe you have always imagined that Mary arrived in Bethlehem in the nick of time to deliver her baby, only to find that the local inn was full, but the innkeeper nevertheless kindly allowed her to stay in a stable. I'm not saying that that's not the case. But it's as well to understand that when looking at the original Greek words, In verse 7, let's have a look at verse 7 again. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And that we, 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 we focus on that word inn, the last word there in verse 7. But looking at the original Greek words, that word in is not the same word that is used in the the story uh, of the Good Samaritan, for example. You know that story, don't you? I think we all know that story where a man was robbed and he was left for dead. And a Samaritan came, well, first of all, a priest came along and he walked by the man didn't do anything to help him. 
And then a Levite did the same thing. He came along, he didn't do anything. A Levite, they assisted the priests in their priestly duties. He did nothing either to help. They had all the religion, but they had no compassion, no love in them. But then a Samaritan came along and the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Uh, anyway, the Samaritans saw the man there stripped of his clothes and dying in, on the ground and he tended to him. He dealt with the man's wounds on the site there and then. And then he took him to an inn, didn't he? That's how the story goes. He left him with the innkeeper. He took him to an inn and he gave assurances to the innkeeper that any cost that would be incurred, he would repay, he would pay the costs. But the inn in that story is different to the inn that we see here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. The inn in the story about the Good Samaritan that was probably something that you might imagine to be like, for example, the Creek Inn, not far from here, a public house of some sort. However, the inn in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 was a guest room, a guest chamber. The likelihood is that when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, Joseph's family home was already full of relatives who had come to register for tax, There was no room in the guest chamber of the house and so he and Mary had to do with a room that was set aside for the animals. The houses in that time, they had a a room set aside for the animals to bring them out of the cold and from outside. They brought them inside into an animal room. So, either way, how different that all was to what one what one might have expected for the birth of the king of kings isn't it it was not a maternity suite in a top private hospital i don't know if they would have had a top um, private hospital in bethlehem in those days but anyway this most certainly was not uh, a private hospital instead it was just a place for keeping animals with a cattle trough for a crib. There were no doctors, there were no midwives of world renown in attendance. Instead, there were perhaps just a few women from the extended family, from Joseph's extended family, there to help deliver baby Jesus. I don't know. Maybe even Joseph got involved in delivering baby Jesus. And there was some music provided by mooing cows. And that was about it. Let's have a look at verses 10 and 11. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. We can see that first of all, The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ was announced not to world leaders, not to kings and queens, but to lowly shepherds. I don't suppose that those shepherds would have believed 
what they heard about the birth of a saviour who is Christ the Lord, had they not heard it from a heavenly messenger and had not that heavenly messenger, that angel, scared them, scared the living daylights out of them. It had to be something spectacular for those shepherds who were tending their flocks to take notice and to believe. And an angel appearing from heaven and making them sore afraid, that did the job. They believed. In verse 11, the angel said to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, which is Christ the Lord. Therefore, even at his birth, Jesus was declared to be Lord. Uh, Years ago, back in East London, when I attended the nativity play at my daughter's school, they took the Lord out of, unto you is born this day, a saviour which is Christ the Lord. And it was a, um, a child, uh, just the, 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 the child Jesus, not the Lord Jesus. Everywhere where it should have been Lord, they replaced it with child. They took away the lordship of Jesus in that nativity. But we see here in these verses that even at birth, he is Christ, a a saviour, which is Christ the Lord, even at birth. And that is most fitting when you consider that in the newborn baby dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Can you imagine that? Can you even begin to imagine that? In a little baby, all the fullness of the Godhead. Very God. Completely and utterly God. As well as completely and utterly a little baby. The day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are people in here who have already bowed the knee before Jesus, acknowledging his lordship. And there are others who haven't. But let me tell you now that the day will come when everyone, everyone will fall upon their knees and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't wait till then. I'm talking about the judgment and there will be a judgment. This is the time to acknowledge Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord. Upon hearing the news, the shepherds went to see what it was that the Lord had made known to them and they found baby Jesus lying in a manger. But look again, look at verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. This is after they'd made haste to uh, see the baby Jesus. They didn't stay, they left. They left to spread the good news that the Saviour had been born. Surely that is what Christians ought to do as well. Every December, what do we do? We come to Bethlehem. 
But having done that, we ought to go and tell people that a saviour has been born, a saviour which is Christ the Lord, and he shall save his people from their sins. We've got so much to tell people. We mustn't stay at Bethlehem. Finally, we see humility in all the circumstances surrounding the entrance of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, into this dark world of sin. And that was to be the pattern throughout the time that the Lord Jesus was in the world. Jesus didn't live in a palace. In fact, he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Even though Jesus is Lord, he did not lord it over his creatures. If you had been there, you would have been more likely to see him touching and healing lepers and eating with sinners. If you had been with Jesus as one of his disciples on the night that he was arrested, he would have washed your feet for you. 33 years after being laid in a manger as a newborn baby, Jesus was was buried in a borrowed grave, having laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin for all who would trust in him. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. But what about you? How humble would you say that you are? I like to keep it about Jesus, but I want to challenge you as well. And I want to challenge you with this question. How (coughs) humble are you? And when I say that, I say that recognising that any real humility is God-given. Because it is not in the sinful nature of any of us to be humble. So having qualified that, I ask you again, how humble are you? Are you humble enough to acknowledge that without the Saviour, who is Christ the Lord, you are rightly condemned as a sinner. Do you have the humility and the contrition to ask God for mercy, believing that Jesus humbled himself? He humbled himself by coming into this world as a little baby. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the law's demands. You think of the law of God. Who wrote that law? Jesus. As God. It's his law. And yet, he put himself under his own law when he came into this world. He was obedient to the law, even unto the death of the cross, in order to reconcile people to God how humble are you do you believe these things to be for you that Jesus came into this world as a little baby all the circumstances that surrounded it 
the life of humility, obedient humility, which reached its climax with Jesus laying down his life at the cross as a sacrifice for sin. Your sin, certainly my sin. For me, Christmas is a time to reflect upon that humility of Jesus that took him to the cross, from the cradle to the cross, and then to the grave, and then to the right hand of the throne of God. May that be your Christmas as well, as you reflect upon what it's all about. Amen.